following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. America is an amazing place. Uh, It's got its problems, but America is unique, and it's unique in its place in the world, and it historically always has been. Since the very beginning of its foundation, wanting to break away from England and set up a, uh, a quote-unquote, to, to establish a more perfect government. Not a perfect government, but a more perfect government from where they came from and a more perfect government from what they saw in Europe and what they were aware of in history. Far from perfect, we know that. Only God is perfect. No one's perfect. There's no institution or government perfect. But in order to establish a more perfect government, they drafted the Constitution. Um, And so in the beginning of the Constitution, what was unique about our Constitution, it starts out with the preamble and it says, we the people. Can you say that with me? We the people. One more time. There was profound power in this country and our model in the world because of democracy and because of the independence and because of, again, not a perfect country or perfect government, but because of we the people. And we the people have power to represent, to vote, to change directions and do things. In a lot of places in the world, that was not the case. There was monarchies, there was kings, queens, there was a class system. And in America, you can pursue uh, the right of happiness and everybody is, is equal according to our constitution. But we the people is the preamble. We the people is powerful. And there is, um, I believe, even in the Bible, this principle of the power, the power of us according to God, the power of us according to God. When you look at the history throughout the Bible and what God has done through groups of people who lined their heart with his, he's done profound things. He's changed cities, towns, he's changed villages, he changed the world through groups of people who were committed to him. And I would suggest that there is uh, the power of we that God's calling us to be. The power of we, not independent from God, that's very dangerous, but the power of we according to how God's calling us to be. And I want to look, to look at that this morning uh, from this position of we the people and what the Bible's got to say about we the people, um, this set-apart group God's calling us to be. If you have your Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, to set that up, I just want to read a couple of, uh, a couple of scriptures that, that talk about the power of we the people. Um, the power of we that God's calling us to be. First uh, Peter 2, you don't have to turn there. It says this, it says, once we were not a people, and now we are a people. In other words, we weren't God's people. We were all scattered all over. I don't know about you, but I wasn't born God's people. The Bible doesn't say that we're born children of God. Anybody who tells you, well, we're all children of God, they did not get that from the Bible. We're all God's creation. We're not all his children. We're only his children through Jesus Christ. To as many that would receive him, to them he gave the right, the right to be called sons and God, sons and daughters of God. We become sons and daughters through this process of adoption through the payment of Jesus Christ. That's it, there's no other way. So we're all God's creation and we're supposed to love everyone in the whole world, but it doesn't really make us brothers and sisters. That's a fallacy. The Bible says we're all his creation, but we get adopted together and through Jesus we become family, we become sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, 
Once we were not a people, and now we are a people. It also says in that same passage, 1 Peter 2, it says, together, together, together we're being built up into this spiritual house, not a brick and mortar building. Uh, Church, when people think of church, they think of a building. The church is the people. It's always been the group, the people set apart for God in any city. uh, The Bible writes to the church of Ephesus and Sardia and all the different churches scattered, Church of Philadelphia, Church of Corinth, there's a church of Thessalonica, there's a church of LA, there's a church here in Reseda, and I believe God sees it the same way. The gathering of sons and daughters that are together for his namesake, for his purpose, it says that we are being built up as living stones, not brick and mortar stones, live stones, that we are alive, and God is building us together there's the power of we according to the way God wants us to be, the power of we, the power of this assembly, the power of this thing we call church, um, this family of believers. And so we know we're adopted as sons and daughters into God's family and this family of believers, there's a global around the world family of believers, body of Christ, and there's local family of believers, body of Christ. We all belong to the bigger thing under God's umbrella family, which is amazing. But Ephesians chapter four, I want us to look at this. Paul is uh, in an interesting place in his life when he's writing this. He has planted many, many churches. He has seen great things happen. He's seen some not great things happen. He, his heart breaks for the condition of the church, the love in the church, the, the fruition of the church, the multiplication of the church, God moving powerfully in people's lives. And every once in a while, he sees that get disrupted and he addresses those things. But he's always encouraging, guys, let God build you up as living stones. He's building a spiritual house. Together, it's the power of we through, through the power of he. Does that make sense? It's the power of we, not... A separate from God, it's only the power of we through the power of he. And all through the Bible, God has done things with assemblies of people who are set apart for him, like-minded sons and daughters. It's profound, it's throughout scripture, it's certainly in the New Testament churches. But in Ephesians chapter four, we're gonna look at verses one through seven. This is what it says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, a grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So I just want to unpack this because there's a lot going on. He starts out saying, hey, listen, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. He's not talking to one person in the church. He's talking to everybody in the church. This, this letter was to be circulated among the church in Ephesus. He's telling them, just like he's saying to us, the word of God still speaks, it's alive. I'm urging you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. We looked at this a little bit more last week about the gifts and calling of God. And if you want, you can go online and, or YouTube, watch the video. But 
Every one of us has a, have a gift and calling from God. Every one of us are stewards of the endowment of God's graces. He has imparted graces to us. You're wonderfully and fearfully made, he says. I know the works I've established from the foundations of the world. Before you were born, I had things for you to do. Discover and walk in them. Walk in the things. God has given gifts, natural gifts, abilities, talents, resources. He's given spiritual gifts to everybody. It's amazing, this impartation of God's grace to all of us. Again, we looked at it last week, but to figure out what that is and take hold of it is important. But what he's saying here is I urge you to live your life worthy of the calling you've received. Worth, comparable, having worth, value. Can you line it up the same? This is something we often see in society. Some of you may see this in the Super Bowl next week where there's character or not character on the field. Profound talent, profound talent. People who can jump up in the air, rip a ball out of the sky, jump over people. I mean, it's amazing when you look at the athleticism of some of these guys. But not always is the talent, uh, the, the character, excuse me, in the same place as the talent. For the family of believers, we all have a calling. He's saying here, it's not the, the calling. Of course you have a calling. God knows you have a calling. The Bible tells you you have a calling and a gift. That part's a no-brainer. Figure out what it is. Recognize your calling. Here's the thing. Live a life worthy of it. Live a life worthy of the calling. In other words, make sure your life lines up with your calling. Make sure it's worthy. There's, there's a value. It's on the same level, the same playing field. We're talking about here, or what Paul is talking about, is your gift and your character. Your gift and your character. You can't do anything about the gift. You didn't necessarily even ask for the gifts that God graced you with and endowed you with. You were given graces from God. But your character and my character, that's the only thing we have to, we have to own that completely. Um, there's the gifting and the character. And basically what you see in life, you see it in the church, you see it out in society, you see it all over the place, you see it throughout history. Gift is so easily recognized, re- recognizable. Gifting is so obvious. If someone's gifted, they're talented, sometimes they can rise to the top because of their gift. But I gotta tell you, at the end of the day, all you got is your character, your character. And if the gift exceeds the character, it's only a matter of time before things get a little loose and start to unravel and discovered. Um, but I think what he's saying here is like, can you aim at your character exceeding your gift? God's given you a great gift, but can you personally aim at your character exceeding your gift? Because when character exceeds gift, watch out. It's like a train for the glory of God that keeps rolling and doesn't get easily shaken. But if character is already shaken and character is already compromised, then it's only a matter of time before that stuff really topples uh, even the gifting and the opportunity we have. He's like, I urge you, please, I urge you to live a life worthy of the call. Let your character exceed your gift. He also says, God is calling us to live right. Now, here's the thing about living right. Uh, Everyone knows right and wrong. Romans chapter one says, even if you haven't heard of the Bible, it's evident from nature. Uh, There are things just to see, to to observe, to even if you've only got that basic, simple revelation of nature, uh, that we can tell the basics of right and wrong, just written into nature, the laws of nature, without even seeing the word of God or hearing it. And yet, 
um, he's given us a conscience. Every one of us has a conscience. And our conscience is the internal mechanism where we go, uh, 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 or uh, 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 it's the internal mechanism in our soul telling our mind, go or don't go, good, bad, left, right, yes, no, this is good, this is not good. And what happens in our life is the Holy Spirit starts to awaken our conscience. The Holy Spirit, as we're coming to Jesus, the Holy Spirit starts to wake us up on a new level of understanding. It's almost like our conscience is on steroids. It's like the Spirit of God gives us this injection of saying, are you starting to see what I'm seeing? And we're like, yeah, I didn't see that last year, but I'm seeing it now. Has anybody gone through that? Where you didn't see it last year, but you see it now? Yeah, it's your conscience waking up to a new level. It's the Holy Spirit waking us up to new levels and aptitudes and abilities and capacities. Uh, The Bible says the Holy Spirit's job, his role is to convict us of sin and righteousness. This is sin, don't do it, it's bad. This is right, go this way. This whole thing, the mechanism of sin and righteous, where do we go? Our our conscience goes to this whole other level where the spirit is like, don't you get it? Don't you see it? Oh, now I do, I didn't see that last year. I get it now, God, I get it. He's like, live a life that way. Live a life of heightened awareness. Live right with your gift. Let your character exceed your gift. Now this part, I want to go through quickly and focus on one thing. This part, he talks about what the Bible teaches and what pretty much most all of you in this room would say, yes, I wholeheartedly agree to this. And this is what he says. There's one God the Father. You guys agree? One God the Father. There's one God the Father. One Lord Jesus Christ. There's one Lord Jesus Christ. One faith. One faith. There's one baptism. And there's one hope. There's one hope, the hope of the resurrection that we all have in Christ Jesus, that if we die in Christ, we're going to rise in Christ, we're going to be with him in eternity, and these are all realities. Everything that he says, everything that he wrote is going to come to pass. One Father, one Lord Jesus Christ, one baptism, one uh, faith, one hope, and then he says, there's one body, there's one body. And I think the listeners at that point wondered, well, is there one body, is there one body or is there not one body? He's like, listen, guys, just like there's one Father and one Lord and, and one baptism and one faith and one hope, there is one body referring to the body of Christ. The Bible refers to the family of believers, uh, the sons and daughters of God, the adopted ones, the living stones that he's building up. All these terms are used for the church, the called out ones, the family of believers, the body of Christ, all synonymous terms. And he's saying there's one body. So we the people, we the people are all in this together is what he's trying to say. And that's something that churches back then can disconnect with and throughout history can disconnect with and that's something you and I today can disconnect with. That the heart of God is that there is one body and one faith and that we are in it together and it is so profound and it is so powerful Paul is like urging them, guys, you got to get this. You, you got to know this. And my prayer is that if you leave here today, you hold on to this reality, uh, the power of we through the power of he. When we, the people, are the kind of people that God wants us to be as a family of believers, radical things happen. But we got to come to terms with it. It is so powerful. It is so powerful, the devil knows it. The devil knows how powerful this is. And the devil cannot mess with your personal faith. He can't, you know, take away your faith. He can't take away your future. Uh, He can't take away these things. But he can really hard try to mess with this. 
because he goes around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. And we see from the beginning of time that the enemy tries to divide and conquer. Did you guys know that? A divide and conquer. A house divided will not House divided will not stand. That's the same of a marriage. It's the same with a church. It's the same with a family of believers. Uh, house divided will not stand. The enemy knows it. So when God gave the protocol in the beginning, in the garden, this is the, this is the garden, don't eat from this tree, the enemy waited till Adam and Eve were not together. Let me slide right into the situation because he's all about division. And he rolled up on Eve and said, hey, check it out. You know you want that. You come on, look at that. You, you got to have that. If you have that, you're going to get in on some profound thing that God's been holding out on you. God's been holding out. He didn't disclose it to you. He left it out. I'm going to let you know the real deal. You get in on this and you're going to see in a whole nother way. And she did see. And she didn't like what she saw. And she went running and hiding. And humanity has been ducking and hiding and wrapping things around us in covering ways ever since the fall. Uh, so there was a degree of truth to that, but he lied about it's good for you. And that's what he does. He, he works his way in, but division is his, is his mode of operation. And he knows when Paul is saying this profound reality of the, the, the united family of believers, what God does is profound, but when it's divided, things get wobbly. He knows it. God knows it's powerful. That's why he's telling us these things. Paul is urging us and he's pleading with us to be one body, to recognize one body. And this is where we get to see the power of God through the power of us. Not that we have any power in and of ourselves, but corporately together in Christ as a family, there is profound power, and that is by God's design. God's design, when he, when he wrote the New Testament, and you look at the way churches work and family of believers gather, and giftings, giftings, your gifting and mine, all come together, watch out, it gets explosive. What the enemy would like is for people to be solo flyers, do their own thing. And I say that because there is a greater level of independent faith today uh, than there's ever been in the history of Christianity. People disconnected from any assembly of believers. Look, if this isn't your church, uh, you know, pray and find one that is. But if this is your church, draw close. Don't back up. Draw near. Come discern your giftings. And those of others around you and press in and let's be family together because there is such profound power, the power of God through the power of us. This is where we get to be the power of we through the, the power of he. A great example of this is in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, they're all together in one accord. There's 120 men and women in this upstairs room together with one motive. God, whatever you want to do. You want to change this city? You want to turn this world upside down? You want to change us? Here we are. We're yours. The one description it does say about them is that they were in unity and one accord. Not a Honda accord. They were in accord. They were in one accord. They're on the same page. They're like, hey, we all got different personalities. We got different styles. We got different gifts. We might even have different philosophies. We might even have different views of this and that. But the main thing is the main thing, that Jesus is the king and we're all about him and we're all about the Father's business and we want to get in on whatever he has. It was the power of we through the power of he and they grabbed, they got together in one place in unity in one court and God smiled on that gathering and poured out his spirit on a way that they became world changers and even the very next, even that same day, Jerusalem had never been the same ever since. 
things got turned on edge when the power of we get filled with his spirit and step out and go public in profound ways. It is such a powerful uh, reality to come to terms with. That's when the power of God began, began to change the world. The power of God was changing the world through Jesus, who died on a cross for your sins and mine, rose from the grave and went to heaven. But he told the apostles, I'm gonna continue to change the world through you. Even though me and my body, I'll be gone, you now are gonna be the body of Christ. You are gonna be the assembly. You are gonna represent me. I'm gonna pour my spirit out on you and you in turn, filled with the spirit, are gonna step out and do the things that I did. Sounds profound, sounds wild. It's historically what happened in the book of Acts. So it's such an important thing that we understand that we are one body, not just one father and one Lord and one baptism and one faith, that we're one body. It's so important to know that. And that's why in verse three right here, he says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit, the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Um, Most people today feel things like this are very optional, well, why do I have to make the effort and why do I got to keep the unity or the bond of peace? Um, because there is, is a spiritual uh, thing in place. There's a, there's a spiritual vortex of the people of God united in a way, just like the upper room where there's unity in one accord and what God will do in that kind of environment and how the devil tries to sow discord or disunity. Um, and it's such a powerful thing. He's saying, you'll get in on the magnitude of this if you make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And that's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers, peacemakers, not peace breakers, peacekeepers. And um, verse two tells us how to do this. This tells us how you and I can keep the unity through the bond of peace. It says this in verse two, be completely humble and gentle, be patient Bearing with one another in love. Be humble, gentle, and patient. So we can bear with one another. That's a term we don't use a lot, but I think it warrants a little more airplay today. Uh, Bearing with one another. Uh, There's this little kid who was in a wedding, and uh, they set up the wedding. It was a really expensive wedding, and it was like really amazingly fancy and everything. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of this, all the cameras are on, you know, the bride's you know, ready to come in, just all this stuff is going on and they've got cameras everywhere in this amazing place and um, everybody's, all the bridal parties up here and all of a sudden this little kid comes in with the ring going, right down the aisle. Some people are falling down laughing, some people are crying like he's wrecking the moment and later on they ask little, this little boy, son, what were you doing? He said, well, they asked me to be the ring bear. So I was the ring bear. Thought he was the ring bear. Some of you will get that at lunch. Um, <laughs> this says, bear with one another. Bear with one another. What does it mean to bear? It simply means, <laughs> can we raise our level of tolerance for one another? Can we raise our threshold of grace for one another? Freely you've been given. Can you freely give? I know God's given me a lot of grace in my life. Can I in turn give it away? Or am I like the guy in the Bible who was given forgiveness and turned around, remember, and wouldn't forgive the others? Do you guys remember the story in the Bible? The servant gets all the forgiveness and doesn't forgive others. Are we gonna be like the guy who gets this download of God's grace? Like, God, we needed it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And not in turn extend that grace to those around us. You know, the church has gotta be a place of grace. 
The church cannot be viewed as a place of judgment or hypocrisy or critical spirit, even a very religious spirit. The church doesn't exist for that reason. The Pharisees had a religious spirit. They were critical. The church has got to be a place where there's grace, where there's mercy, where people can come as they are. They're not judged where they're at or anything like that. We don't compromise. Hey, God's calling us all this way. And if you're ready, start taking your steps. If you're not, maybe you will be next week. But we're not to be the judgmental, the critical. And even how we get along with one another, it seems like sometimes we're in the boat with Jesus and we're at the oars. And every once in a while, there can be a bumping into somebody, a splinter or something somebody says or does. And it can be offensive possibly. And the Bible is saying, hey, listen, listen, listen. Make every effort to maintain the unity, keep the bond of peace. Make every effort, and the only way you're going to be able to do that is to be humble, gentle, and patient. We have to be humble, gentle, and patient, and that is the only way we'll be able to have grace for the others that are in this, in this family. If we don't, we will turn around and disturb the peace. Instead of keeping the peace, We'll disturb the peace. We'll feel we have the right to disturb the peace. We'll have the right to speak up. We'll have the right to let them know. We'll have the right to not be around them anymore. Any of these reactions that we could do when we're not happy about the family. And God is saying, look, it's such a powerful reality. Make every effort to keep the bond of peace. It's really enormous. Um, Verse seven said something huge, and it has a lot to do with this design of unity and the body of believers, the body of Christ, we the people through the power of he. Verse seven says, each of you has been given different gifts from God. Now, here's what's important about this, and the devil knows this. Your gift needs to be represented in the body of Christ. Your gift needs, it's not optional. Your gift needs to be represented in the family of believers, The gifts are given, the Bible says, for the mutual edification. That means the building up of those around you. That means your gift is for the person sitting next to you and their gift is for you. That's the way God designed the family. And since the gifts need to be represented, he's saying, look, especially uh, we're gonna see in a second in, in the Corinthian church, they had these gifts and they weren't acting like a family. They were not. They were kind of pulling rank. Mine's better than yours or you only got that gift. And they were... Paul's like, what are you guys doing? Make every effort to keep the bond of peace. These gifts are given to you uh, because your gift needs to be represented in the body of Christ. I would tell you, every one of you in this room that has a gift, your gift needs to be represented in the body of Christ. Let me say it again. If you have a gift in this room, and everyone does, your gift needs to be represented in the body of Christ. What will that display look like? It could be here at church through hospitality or serving in children's ministry. It could be administratively. It could be a lot of these other areas. It may be in the outreach realm of the church, how the church goes public and steps into the world and shares the love of God on on an outside the church perimeter basis. But all of this is the children of God represented in the body of Christ. And every one of you has a gift in these areas and they have to be represented. You might think about that. Is my gift represented? What are you doing with your gift? Because last week we looked at the one who stuck it under a rock. Figured I'll deal with it later. And Jesus didn't have great things to say about him. But the ones who said, hey, I don't have much, but this is what I do have. I'm gonna use my gift. He was like, well done, smiling. He was actually beaming. Well done, sharing your master's happiness. He was smiling at them. He was so pleased with them. Thank you for 
knowing your gift and putting it to work and not just burying it and sticking it under a rock somewhere. Verse 7 is telling us that we all have a gift. All the gifts are needed for each other. And we're designed to be in faith together with these gifts. So I just want to suggest something to you, even prophetically, if any of you this morning feel like you're a lone wolf kind of guy or lone wolf kind of girl, maybe you're thinking this retreat coming up, I'm not going to do that, I don't do that, I don't hang out with other girls. Mm -mm -mm -mm. If you're the kind of guy, it's like, no, I roll solo, that's the way I am, just me and God, we got our thing. Um, I talked to a brother like that, he's like, yep, just me and God. Well, what part of the body of Christ are you? I'm not any of those parts. Really? What are you? He's like, I'm the guy who goes behind enemy lines, stealth, just me. Really? Wow, I just don't see it in the book. I don't see it in there. In fact, even in the book, he sent them out in twos. Uh, There was no lone wolf mentality uh, in the kingdom of God, in the family of believers, and I would suggest it's true for us. So if you have a lone wolf kind of mindset, um, I would suggest the Lord is telling you it's time to throw it off and time to be real and time to be vulnerable and time to connect and the time to be in family because there are no lone wolves in the kingdom of God, at least the way I read the word. Um, God sent them out in groups. There was the 12, the 70. There's 120 in the upper room. There's, I mean, God's always doing things through you know, assemblies of people and his design. So it's time for all of us to take our place in this assembly of the body of Christ. It's time for all of us to figure out what is my gift set, what is my calling, and will I take the step of faith to actually implement that, or am I just going to hear about it and not participate in the kingdom? Um, We can grow and hear cognitively in our mind and and get a a wealth of knowledge. Uh, Even online, you could do, you know, essentially Bible college online and podcasts and things like that. We can grow in knowledge, but until you actually step out in faith, with your gift saying, here goes God, (laughs) I'm gonna have to trust you. Um, We don't really get stretched and grow. We don't really get to bless others. Uh, Everyone in that upper room knew, I can't do that unless I'm filled by your spirit first. I don't have what it takes. It's just not about knowledge. I, I need you, God, to fill me up so that I can step out with this endowment of your grace and let it be a gift that keeps on giving. And I believe God is saying, it's time for all of us to take our place. All of us are needed. You are needed. Tell someone next to you, you're needed. Tell them. You are needed. You are needed. You are by design supposed to be plugged in. This isn't just like, oh, there's a need around here, guys, and we're trying to fill a couple of needs. Uh, No, this is so much bigger than that. This is the kingdom of God. This is God's design for the family. We are all living stones being built up into a spiritual house where we're being assembled, we're being conformed into his image and there's, there's a bigger picture here with the body of Christ, the family of believers, the, the unity of the saints. That's why we're called the body of Christ because we are the feet of Jesus. In his physical absence, through the power of his spirit, you and I become his feet. We become his hands. We become his mouth. We become his heart. That's the way he designed it. And that only really works a full-fledged family if all the parts are there. You know, back in 2004, the United States sent our Olympic team over to Greece, Athens, Greece, for the Olympics. Specifically, we sent our basketball team. And if you look at the roster back then, we had by far the best talent 
on planet Earth. Not even, not even a close second. I mean, by far. Guys that do moves and hit, hit threes from far away. I mean, these just phenomenal athletes, right? So it was a no-brainer, and it was so obvious that we were going to go over there and get the gold. But guess what? We didn't get the gold. Well, we got the silver, right? No, we didn't get the silver. Did we get the bronze? Barely. Barely got the bronze. Barely, barely squeaked it out. How did these phenomenal best athletes and best coaching in the world go over there and not come home with the gold? Because they were lone wolves, that's why. They were a bunch of lone wolves. They went over and they played as individuals. And when you play as an individual, you don't get in on the big win. Individuals don't get in on the big win. They don't. And our Olympic team didn't either. But the people who did play as a team got in on the big win. It's the same for you and I. If we didn't want to be one of those 120 in the room, I'm just going to have my own thing with God. I don't need to be around those people. I don't need to keep every effort to keep the bond of peace. Uh, Just me and God over here. We got our own personal thing in life. And you should have a personal walk and intimacy with God and your devotions absolutely, unequivocally. You can't live as a believer without intimacy with God. But it's for the purpose of a greater display. It's the power of we through the power of he. And this is what he's done all throughout, throughout history. Let's not be like that Olympic team who just play together, play individually and expect there's going to be a big win. I don't think there is a big win. In fact, the Corinthian church was enduring the same thing. <laughs> they weren't having a big win over there. And they were all kind of flying solo, doing their own thing. And if you want to turn there, I'm going to summarize with this. And um, this passage, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, these guys didn't want to be part of a big win. They were all individuals doing their thing, focused on things. This is my gift. This is my ministry. This is my stuff. This is what I do. I don't know about you guys, but this is what. And everybody had their own thing, much like those pro players who came to the Olympics who were like, I don't know about you, but I got a great three-pointer. So step aside. You know, it's like, what about passing the ball? What about an assist? You know, what about I set up a block for you so you can make the, what about that? Nobody was doing that. Nobody wanted to do that. And in the Corinthian church, they weren't really doing that either. So it's not uncommon for us to do these kind of things that people do. Um, They were a gifted church, but they didn't understand unity. They didn't understand the power of unity. And so Paul speaks into this where there were so many gifts, but they weren't living like a body. They weren't living like a unit. They weren't living like a family of believers. And so he speaks to them in 1 Corinthians 12. And it says this in verse 12. Speaking of the church, the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. And so it is with Christ. You might want to underline, so it is with Christ. He's saying this is the same thing, guys. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given the same one spirit to drink, And if the foot should say, uh, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. He's talking about the body being a unit and God designing all the parts to work together. Could you imagine tomorrow morning, your heart gets up and says, I've been working long and hard hours. I've been working through the night. I'm going on vacation. We would be breathless. Could you imagine? Your heart just like, hey, guys, I'm working. You guys are sleeping at night. I'm around the clock. I'm out. See you. Figure it out on your own. No way. Somebody help me out here. 
You know, could you imagine your heart just checking out? I do all the work. What about you guys? I'm more, no, 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 no. Could you imagine your foot saying, I'm tired of standing, holding you up. I'm out of here. You know, we'd be falling out everywhere. Could you imagine any body part, even parts you don't know, even like your little toe, which doesn't get a lot of respect. Come on, that little toe. How many, how many think your little toe gets respect? Of course, it's on the end down there somewhere. Maybe ladies on pedicure day, it gets a little respect, but that's about it. That, that, but you know what? If you didn't have that toe, you'd be hobbling, you'd be limping, and you'd be hurting right now if you stubbed that toe. You know it matters. You know it and you need it. But we take things for granted. And he's saying the same thing with the body and all the parts of the body. Every part is needed. Every gift, every person, every one of us is valuable because there's the power of we the people the power of we according to the power of he. When we line ourselves up as a, as a holy assembly, not that we have anything down, but we say, God, we are yours. We have you in common. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit. Did you get the theme that's going through this whole passage today? One father, one Lord, one hope, one baptism, one spirit, one body. When we own that, when we step into that, when we know that we're an integral part and we actually start to live that way, that's when we change and that's when cities change. That's when environments change. We shift atmospheres when we walk in the unity of the Spirit. When we're in unity and one accord, radical, radical things happen. And so God designed you and he wants to arrange you. He designed you and wants to arrange you. It says in this passage, if you want to read it more later on, that God actually takes the part and he arranges them. So your first part may be, have I... Do I know my gift? Do I know my part? And that's great if you do, then start stepping in in faith. And even at the welcome table, you can even say that or come up to us after and say, hey, this is my gift. This is what I'm sensing. And you know what? We'd love to find a place for you that way. But I believe everyone needs to find out what is their gift. And then you need to let God arrange you. Now, I will say something about the arrangement process. Uh, God is, uh, what I've noticed, and, and many of you, if you've been in the faith for a long time, you will know this. Sometimes the calling is very, very clear, but the timing is a little bit different. Anybody ever get that read from God? The calling is clear. Moses, I'm calling you to set my people free, but there's 40 years in a desert. Is this this promised land? No, but it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. There's calling and there's timing of God. They're two different things. The calling we have to own, the timing we cannot own, the timing we give to God. We're responsible for our character. Let our character exceed our gift, right? Let us be faithful stewards of what God gives us. If our character exceeds our gift and we are a faithful steward of the endowment of God's grace, he's gonna work the timing thing out. You gotta trust him in that. The same is with us and our gifts. God gave us these gifts and then he wants to arrange us. And he starts moving us in places to be more effective, to be tested a little bit. He tries us a little bit. He makes sure we're faithful with little things so that we can be faithful with greater things. That's God's economy. But this is simply the way it work, works. The point is this. We all have a very important place to play and a very important role. We have a very important place in this spiritual house that God is building up with living stones. And I believe God put us on this corner very strategically. We had a leadership meeting yesterday with all of our leaders and we talked a little bit more about this. But even the strategy of where he placed us here um, you know, we've been in different places. We started out in the Tarzana Community Center um, years ago. And from there, we were in the Sherman Oaks Women's Club. 
uh, where we converted a coat closet to fit our kids in. And then as we grew, we got to knock down a second closet to make it a bigger kid's space. Uh, from there, we were in Sherman Oaks Elementary uh, School for a while using their auditorium and uh, renting you know, the campus over there. And uh, been praying in this neighborhood for many years, many, many years. And then God opened this opportunity for, for this building right here. But this building happens to be positioned between um, two high schools and a couple of colleges, one right up Lindley here, CSUN, as you know. And when you look at the timing of God, and I believe the strategy of God, the sovereignty of God, the orchestration of God, God placed us in the middle of a demographic of people who need Jesus more than anybody else in society. I don't know if you agree with me, but maybe by a show of hands, do you think teens and 20s need Jesus more than any uh, desperate group uh, in the society? I, I think everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. Every tribe, telling and age, everyone does. But there's something about this age group being raised in a godless environment with no ounce or taste of God's kingdom and who Jesus is and his love. They were being raised void of God and his ways and his kingdom and his love. And it's like a vacuum for the church to step into. And I believe he has us here for such a time as this. I believe he wants us to be the body to begin to outreach, to reach the lost and make disciples on a whole nother level. I want to encourage you guys to participate in that calling of this church. I want to ask you, I want to ask you to join us as we take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. There's a lot of kids that need Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus in this city. So if church is about what we like and the kind of songs we like and the style we like and the motivation level of the speaking or anything like that, then, then we're looking at it kind of a self-centered way. I know that's natural. Everyone does that. They're like, I like this better. I, I go to this mall or I like the coffee better over here. How many like to go to a certain place for your coffee, right? Okay, and you don't like some other place, right? Okay, we do things like that. But with the kingdom of God, we have to make every effort to keep the bond of peace. We have to aim higher. With the kingdom of God, we have to get in on the calling of God. We gotta lock arms together. We gotta have grace for one another. And we gotta keep our eyes on the prize. As the worship team comes up, I just wanna close in prayer. But I wanna encourage you to please take this to heart. Identify your calling. Know you have one. Know you have gifts. Take the step of faith to step into that place. It's gonna be by faith to say, God, I'm ready to step in and serve you in whatever this beautiful matrix is, wherever that is, whatever you want me to do, I'm ready to step into it to represent you. And then what you're gonna find is God's gonna be building you in this spiritual house. God's gonna be arranging you. But you're gonna find that your gift is gonna be not dormant anymore. Your gift is gonna start blessing some folks. And it's really cool when that happens. Know what else you're gonna find? You're gonna find that their gift is blessing you. And you're gonna see this continuity in the kingdom of God. You're gonna see continuity in the body of Christ, continuity in the family of believers. Why? Because we're being the kind of assembly that God's calling us to be. It's really powerful stuff. So on this note, let me just uh, wrap this in prayer and ask God to seal some, some things in our heart. Um, mighty God, I just thank you for these passages today that remind us uh, pretty clearly um, that there is one Lord, one spirit, one baptism, one father, one hope, one faith, there's one body. And you're calling us all to not be a lone wolf because that's not your design. You tell us, don't forsake the gathering of believers. You tell us, don't skip out on it. 
and you tell us to uh, find our place in the body, that we all have an integral part, and that when we do that, we, we need to let you arrange us, begin to arrange us any way you want. Because God, we want to be these, these living stones that build up a spiritual house. We want to be a city on a hill. We want people to see you. When they see us, they want to see you doing things through us, God. They want to know that you are alive, that you're the living God, that we're not just flying solo here with a belief system, that we are walking in the power of the living God. We're walking in a commission that God gave us. We are walking in his power, his love, his presence. You say, I will be with you always to the end of the earth, that we don't even go solo. We go with you, God, on mission. So I just pray, Lord, for all of us that we'd begin to take heart, our place in your family, and that we wouldn't be lone wolves. We would commit to that. We would commit to the assembly. We would commit to one another. We would have grace for one another. And Lord, we begin to represent you and take those gifts we have from underneath that rock pile somewhere or that we stuck in the back of the closet and we take them out. And almost like an offering, we just walk up to you and say, Lord, here it is. <laughs> it's probably time to dust this one off. It's probably time to clean it up. But God, I wanna give you I want to give you this, Lord, and I'm ready to take these steps of faith. So, Lord, I just ask that you would seal these things in our heart, God. Change us, God. We don't come to just hear a message or hear some music. We come to, we want to be changed by you. We want to be changed by your word, by your love. Do a new work in our lives, God. Let us decrease so that you can increase. Have your way with us, God. We love you. We ask these things. In in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.